Well, it is wonderful uh, to see you this morning. Uh, thanks for being here on this first Sunday of this new uh, liturgical year for us, this first Sunday of Advent. Um, we weren't here last Sunday. Deb and I were in Los Angeles. Um, our daughter-in-law, Carrie, her dad pastors a wonderful church uh, down in Northridge, and he had surgery just recently to had a knee replacement and invited us to come and and fill in one of those Sundays, and so it was delightful. Um, when you get a chance to see sunshine in the middle of November, you take it, right? Uh, it was wonderful to get to be there last Sunday. Um, but as was mentioned, I, I had surgery on Wednesday um, for several months. I, I've had an issue uh, with a hernia that has been hurting and causing me increasing pain, and so uh, had that taken care of on Wednesday. And so maybe I shouldn't be here this morning. I don't know. I have a stool back here if I need it uh, for later, but... Um, but part of me, there, there's a couple of reasons to be here. First of all, I, I know that I won't get to do this forever. And I know that the Sunday after Thanksgiving isn't uh, kind of the highlight on the pastor's, uh, you know, how many people show up calendar. It's not Easter or Mother's Day. Um, but it is the first Sunday of Advent. And this opportunity for us to begin this journey through the rhythms of the season together. And, and so I hated missing that. But also... Um, in this journey that we've been taking through the story that changes everything, we're now in the book of Deuteronomy, and, and just um, as we head to December this week, if you want a bookmark for December, they're available for you out there. Uh, but we're in Deuteronomy right now, and, and this morning we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is truly one of the great texts in all of the scripture. And I, I love my staff, but I just don't trust them to do it well. And so I, I just <laughs> fought my way to be here today. I'm just kidding. I just, I just love this text and uh, want to be able to reflect with it, uh, on it with you this morning. Um, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter six. We're going to read the first nine verses together. And if you're with us and able, I'd invite you to stand this morning in honor of the Lord's word. Now these are the commandments, the regulations, and the case laws that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you to follow in the land you are entering to possess, so that you will fear the Lord your God by keeping all his regulations and his commandments that I am commanding you, both you and your sons and daughters, all the days of your life, and so that you will lengthen your life. Listen to them, Israel. Follow them carefully so that things will go well for you and so that you will continue to multiply exactly as the Lord, your ancestors, God, promised you in a land full of milk and honey. Israel, listen. Our God is the Lord. Only the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. These words I'm commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are sitting around your house and when you are out and about, when you are lying down and when you are getting up. Tie them on your hand as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on your houses, door frames, and on your city's gates. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
I suppose that one of the ways that you know you've made it uh, in today's world is you get to be a person who's known just simply by one name. Uh, it happens a bit in pop culture. I was thinking about folks like Adele and Bono, Sting, Oprah, T-Swift, <laughs> Elon, Beyonce, Madonna, Zendaya, Shakira. You can kind of go on there. We have those one-name folk in sports, too. People like Peyton and Brady and Elway and Bird and Magic and Jordan, LeBron. If you're a fan of the World Cup these days, Ronaldo and Messi and Mbappe, etc. And so you've made it if people just know you by one name. And so we come, I would argue, to a rock star text in the Bible today. Because the text today, especially Deuteronomy 6, 4 through verse 9, comes to us and is known by one name. The Hebrew word Shema. The first word in verse 4 of chapter 6. A word that means hear, but it means more than just let sound waves come into your earlobe. It means means hear and understand and embrace, believe, Shema. It's not only a powerful text and comes by that one name and so well known, but it's a text that gets its own ritual. Uh, in Jewish life, the Shema is written on a little scroll and it is placed in a decorative box and it is um, placed on the mezuzah, which is the Hebrew word for the doorframe of the house, so that Israel can remember this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Keep these words I'm commanding you today. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you rise up, when you lie down. Talk about them when you leave and when you return. And so they can touch that box and remember these words. They can be shaped by it over and over and over again. That they can shema, they can hear and listen to this text. But as we've been journeying through Deuteronomy these last few days, um, I've been struck really with the whole Torah about how to think about reading these first five books of the Bible in two social locations. And I want to talk with you about that a little bit this morning. The first social location that we hear and read the text from is its original context. Um, The the life of Moses. If you haven't been following along with this, Deuteronomy is is a fascinating book. But the first 11 chapters of Deuteronomy are essentially Moses recapping everything that went before it. In fact, as we've been journeying through it, I thought in part, we should have just started at Deuteronomy 1. It would have saved us a whole bunch of weeks, right? We could have just read the Cliff's Notes version, Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 11, where Moses hits the highlights and rehearses Israel's history. But we think probably the best we can do is, is put that, locate that probably around the 13th century, so about 1,200 years or more before the time of Jesus. And here's Moses having led the people out of bondage in Egypt into the promised land, but now Deuteronomy is really addressed to the next generation, to the children and grandchildren of those who were led through the Red Sea. As Caleb, our Caleb, talked about with you last week, that that what you end up with is really only Joshua and Caleb of the original generation entering into the promised land. Everybody else that stands before Moses are the kids and grandkids who've experienced the wilderness but really didn't get to experience the Red Sea. 
And so he is giving them kind of one last pitch before you enter into the promised land. And you hear all these case laws. I'm going to rehearse them for you one more time, Moses is saying. But here is the thing. At the very center of all this, here are the things I want you to get. Hear, O Israel. Shema. Listen. And I, I feel that very passionately for Moses as he looks at these kids and he realizes as they enter into the promised land, there are going to be all kinds of voices that they encounter there. All kinds of other cultures, other kinds of nations, other idolatries, other ways of seeing and understanding creation, seeing and understanding what it means to be human, seeing and understanding what it means to live in related ways. And they're going to be in the midst of all of those voices. And so he is saying to these kids as they enter into that promised land, listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God. Yahweh alone is your God. Listen. There's going to be so many competing voices, but listen to the voice of God. And as you listen, do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your soul. As we've been going through uh, the Torah, some of the places where some of the morning podcasts aren't as exciting as others is we get to those places where, have you noticed Israel talks a lot about food? And there's a lot of texts about what makes up clean food that they can eat and unclean food that they can eat. And not only clean and unclean food, but then there's all these sacrifices and how you're supposed to eat when you're at those sacrifices. That so much of the law actually has to do with what the Israelites put in their mouth. And some of that may have to do with concerns about we probably all should think more about what we eat or don't eat. This is a bad post-Thanksgiving message. But But I think it has to do more than just with what we eat, but a recognition that our lives are drawn not just by the thoughts that we have in our head or the words that we have heard, But food represents the ways in which our desires are shaped. Maybe if you've ever traveled abroad and and you've had to go to a country that eats so differently than we are used to eating, you you begin to realize how much eating has shaped your opinion of various things. A few years ago, I was on a working witness trip in Peru and I was sitting in a restaurant and there were all these pictures of what the restaurant thought of as its delicacy. And it was just like these little creatures Uh, served in various ways. And I finally asked somebody what they were, and they were guinea pigs. And I was like, oh man, that's a pet. I can't eat that, right? But for them, that was a delicacy. So that for Israel, what we eat and how we eat that is symbolic of the ways that our desires are shaped. And so Moses is saying to them, as you get into the land, there are going to be all these competing voices. So listen to the voice of God. But also guard your heart. Guard your desires. Guard the things that go in your mouth, but also guard the things that shape your imagination. Guard the things that will capture the essence and the energy of your life. For you will learn to love something and somebody. And so love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And then do this. Keep these words talk about them, recite them, talk about them all the time, talk about them when you lie down, when you get up, talk about them to your children, talk about them when you leave, talk about them when you come back, 
Again, so much of what we've been journeying through, this is the first time I've noticed that in the Torah, seven different times, four times in Exodus, three times in Leviticus, two times, uh, let me get that right, three times in Exodus, two times in Leviticus, once in Numbers, and once again in Deuteronomy. We have major sections that tell about how the Jewish people keep their entire calendar. Practice after practice. That every year they're going to follow these same journeys, these same routines. But not only every year, but every month. Here are the practices that are going to shape us. But not only every month, but every week we're going to keep Sabbath. And this is how that's going to shape us. And not only every week, but every day, this is how it's going to shape us. And so talk about it because here's the problem. You're going to enter into the land and there are going to be all these ways that the nations invite you to participate in their life. And if you're not careful, pretty soon you will enter into those practices and you will, and this is the primary concern of Deuteronomy, you will forget who you are. And so listen and love and remember and participate in these practices that will keep you connected to the one who has given your ancestors and you life. Are you with me? So that's Moses. But I can't help but think about it also in a second context, which is about 700 years later. Not to get super academic today, but but scholars are fairly convinced that the Torah, as we have it, came together in the, the 6th century B.C. Probably connected to dates like 587, when... Judah was taken into exile in Babylon, or 540 or afterwards, when they got out of exile and they got back into Jerusalem. We've talked about this a lot in the past, but I I think of the Jonah story every time I get here, that like Jonah, Judah got swallowed up into exile and should have died there, but instead they got upchucked, barfed like Jonah back into life, into the rubble of Jerusalem. And scholars are convinced that these texts then came together not just to be reminded of these new generation, the new generation that happened to enter into the promised land back in the 13th century, but now here's this whole new generation who centuries later know that those kids who entered into the promised land didn't always listen, failed to always love God with their whole heart, soul and strength and they forgot who they were and the repercussion centuries later was that they endured brokenness a life that seemed like it had no future sin and despair but now here they are a generation who has been given a jubilee a new beginning. And so the prophet, in a sense, resurrects Moses to say to this new generation that's about to enter into Jerusalem, hear, O Israel, listen. Listen to the voice of God. But I think in that context, it's not just listen to the words God wants to say, but it's listen to the words that God has to say about you. Because now for generations, we've been told this, you are forgotten, you are neglected, you are abandoned by God. And if you're not careful, you'll come to believe that that's true about you. And so here's the thing. Listen to God, because God is saying to you, you are not forsaken. You are not abandoned. You are not neglected. You are loved. You are cherished. You are adopted. You are made new. 
And so hear, O Israel, the voice of God and God alone. And now love God. Love God. For all of these years in exile, you've been taught to love things that never loved you back, pursue ways of life that never brought you fulfillment. Pastor Diane mentioned Augustine earlier today. As she said, Augustine tried everything he could possibly try until he found there was no life in them and said this, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O God. And the prophet says to these people, you know there's no love, no future, no hope, and all those things. So love Yahweh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And now keep them. Rebuild the temple. Start practicing those ways that will again and again form you and rehabit your life. Because here's the problem. For generations now, we've been habited by other traditions, other ways of seeing, other ways of thinking, and now rehabit yourselves. Keep these words I'm commanding you today. Write them on your head and on your hand. Talk about them constantly. Teach them to your children. In a few verses, there's a text that shows up again and again in in the Torah. When your children ask you, why are we doing this? Say to them, because God redeemed us. So this morning, if I could think with you about those two contexts in light of a third. And that third context is the moment we find ourselves in. There's a part of me... um, that often feels like Moses in that first context. Uh, Forgive me. Um, I have kids uh, who are getting into adulthood way too fast. I mean, not just my kids, but man, you know, being in the university setting for all these years and in a sense coming to love other people's kids who largely parents have put in a Christian context, hoping that as they entered into the land, that they would follow the ways that their parents most deeply wanted them to follow. And and as a pastor, and as a church, you know that we have kids and grandkids that may not be ours biologically, but as they enter into the land, we so deeply Uh, deeply want them uh, to be shaped by those things that are most important to us. And so I feel like we say to them constantly, listen. I said that to my kids a lot. Listen. (laughs) Listen. Shema, hear not just let this be words that pass in your eardrum and out the other side. Let them be the words that form your life and your, your imagination. There's so many voices in our world 
that are going to invite you to come and to love those things instead. And are going to say to you in, in a multiplicity of ways, this is where life is found. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh alone is our God. And so love God. Love God. Love God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God with every part of who you are. Again, there are so many paths that will shape your appetites and your desires in directions that we will draw you away from the best purposes of God for you. Love God. Love God. And don't forget. Remember, keep these. And I know that there's a part of me, I love the first Sunday of Advent. I, forgive me, I tell this story every year, but I remember when Caleb was probably five, we were coming out of church one of the Sundays of Advent, and I said to him, Caleb, what did you guys talk about in church today? And he goes, oh, Dad. We talked about Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus for the hundredth time. There's a part of me that when we gather and when we light candles and when we read scripture texts, there's a part of me that realizes these practices that we participate in are so unsexy compared to the practices the world invites you to lean into. And I don't know that we need better press agents or better production crews. Where in some ways the medium is the message at times. And what those practices are drawing you into, part of the reason they need such good press agents is because they're drawing, into, drawing you into things that are actually empty when you get there. I wonder, sometimes in Moses' context, when he was speaking to those, that new generation, how optimistic he was that they would actually do it. I mean, he just spent time with their parents and grandparents, with them constantly complaining and being unfaithful and building golden calves and wanting to replace them all the time. My guess is that he was not optimistic nor pessimistic about how these kids were going to do as we've said today, that he was a prisoner of hope in the God who was leading them. And I will say that about this current context. Frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm probably more pessimistic than optimistic. Stats aren't great. Most of you who we will launch into the world, if you follow the current studies, probably about seven out of ten of you will at least spend a decade or two disconnected from the things that at least as the church we wanted you to hold most important. And I'm not optimistic nor pessimistic. I'm a prisoner of hope. That God will not let you go. Which brings me finally to the second kind of context within our own, and that is that some of you um, are not those who... Um, 
heard about Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus for the hundredth time. (laughs) All this is new because God has brought you out of those places that you've discovered by his grace were empty. He's leading you into a whole newness. Thanks be to God. And so listen to what he has to say to you because for years the world has told you lies about yourself. So listen to what God says. You are not abandoned. You are not rejected. You are not marginalized. You are loved. You are a child. You are his beloved. And Because he has loved you, then love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But work at it. Rehabit your life in ways that allow all of these truths to not be something that you, you think about Israel. As they have done the Shema over and over again, they no longer have to even think about those words. They're so deeply inscribed in their bones. And so the reason we gather week after week and the reason we sing and the reason we We go through this Advent season again and again where we are reminded that God has done so much, but there's still so much to do. The reason we do that is because it will, because if we don't, we will forget. And we are a people who want to remember without even having to think about it. What it means to be God's people in the world. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is God, and Yahweh alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your being. And keep these words that are commanded you today. Talk, please, for the love of God, talk about them with your children. Talk about them when you get up. Talk about them when you go to bed. Talk about them when you leave. Talk about them when you come home. Write them all over the place. Because as we enter into the land, voices are going to compete for our ears and compete for our heart and compete for our body. But we are Yahweh's. We belong to Christ and Christ alone. There's a great um, hymn that we sing during this season, A Little Town of Bethlehem. Nothing impressive, how still we see thee lie. My favorite line, maybe of any Christmas carol, is this one. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. If you've listened well this morning, the Shema is not rooted in the hopes that this next generation will finally get it right. No offense to young people. We love you. But if you're the hope of the future, God help us all. Just like if we, your parents and grandparents, were the hope of the future, we're so sorry for what we've given you. We are not optimistic or pessimistic. We are prisoners of the one who keeps inviting us into his life. 
We're prisoners of the hope of the God who keeps making all things new. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in the one who comes and meets us today. God, help us as we begin um, this new liturgical season together. As Pastor Ryan said earlier, we come to this place where even though we love all the lights and all the stuff all around us, um, we probably need a few weeks to at least recognize things are not the way they ought to be yet. We're so grateful that you have come, but we keep wanting to say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come make all things new. Um, God, I, I pray... Um, I pray as we enter in this season, I, I pray for our kids, both young and old, both those who've been born and raised within this church and those who are ours because you've placed them into our lives around us. Um, I pray that you would shape them. Open their ears to hear you. Open their hearts to love you. Open their lives to be habited towards the things that will give them life. I thank you for some who are here who you have brought out of exile. You have brought them out of brokenness. Thank you that you are a God of jubilee, a God of new beginnings. May they hear the truth of who they are that you speak to them. May they come to love you. And may you reshape their lives in ways that bring you glory and honor. For we pray this today in the one who comes to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Little town of Bethlehem, how still we see light. Above thy deep and dreamless, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and Come to us, abide with us.
Kids have heard me say this a lot. Um, I I worry about them and their safety a lot. Um, when we were all on the same cell phone plan together, I, I loved it because I could I could find my iPhone. And remember when Noah went off to Nashville to Trevecca for a year? Every once in a while, I would just pull my phone open just to see where he is, and I couldn't resist it. One day, I saw that he was in a guitar shop, and I I texted him. What are you thinking about buying? And he was like, this is creepy, Dad, right? Um, I have to say, I came by it really honestly. My, my dad was a stalker of a kind. Uh, whenever we would travel, if the plane landed late, he would, he would know and he would text us and say, look like I saw your plane landed late, right? The, the worst was we were on a cruise one time and he called us while we were in port and he said, man, I... I logged onto the website and I saw there's a great party going on on the, bo- on the ship yesterday. And I was like, Dad, that's creepy. Um, <laughs> I come by it honestly, but I really do care about their safety. But here's the thing I care about most. If you want to know my greatest fear, it's that as they enter into the land, they will learn to love other things more than they love God. And I've been thinking about this recently, that it's not just learning to love the things that are so antithetical to God. I actually am fearful that I've taught them to love things that aren't horribly destructive, but they aren't God either. That I've taught them to love success, or that I've taught them to love experiences or independence, or even, and and this is tricky, I've taught them even to love family And that's an important value, and I want them to love us. But even there, I want them to love God even more. And so if you've listened well this morning, you know the Shema text is an invitation to the holy life, to hear God, to love God, and to obey God. That's why we begin this year by sending you out this way. May the God of peace himself may sanctify us through and through. Here, O Israel, may your whole spirit and soul and bodies, may they be kept sound and blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who called you, he is faithful and he will finish his work in us. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go in his peace.